The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Lust is one of those subjects that no one wants to talk about. So if I just start, let's just start by getting, you know, let's just air everything out. Who's lustful in this room? Raise your hand. All right, come on there. A few of you are not raising your hands, and we know you are. Come on, come on. Right? Did you get your hand? Come on. Oh, there you go. Everyone's lustful. It's okay. Who has a belly button? See, it's all the same. If you have a belly button, you're lustful. You can't help it because you're human. If you're human, you lust. And that's the basic truth. Now, we're going to talk about different types of lust tonight. And we're going to talk about this passage. And we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. What I want to do is I want to just think about what was happening in the context of this. So here we have the, we have the Mount. And then here's Jesus. And I would like you to, to actually read the text with me here. So, um, so I'm going to read. This is from the, uh, the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, which if you haven't switched over that, you should. Because, well, we'll get into That's another time. That's another conversation. Ask me why after. After I talk to Shannon about her hidden lust. You did raise your hand, didn't you? Okay, good. Did anyone not raise their hand when I asked about lust thing? Now you're, see, now you're just being shy. Okay, if you would read with me. This is from Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said. Come on, read out. Come on, let's read together. Come on. You guys don't do this, do you? You don't read together? Sometimes? Well, let's start over again. We'll do on the count of three. One, two, three. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members and your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right. That's a lot. And it all sort of centers around this, this lust, this relationship that we have with the other. And there are a couple of things that you should note before we go into that. Um, one about the, about the context as a whole. So let's just look at that. So we have, we have Jesus on this, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts out with the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. Now you gotta remember that Jesus is there and he's turning tables. He's saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. People are like, they're not blessed. He's saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And he's going through this sort of list of things of people that are blessed. And people are like, this is, you know, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Because he's speaking to a crowd that is filled with Pharisees and Sadducees who think that the righteous adherence to the law is what makes them holy, is what makes them righteous, is what makes them blessed. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh. I'm here to turn the tables a little bit and look at things a little differently. So then he goes on and he goes in the, down in the passage and he says, you guys are salt and light. So this is a good, this is hope. He's saying, you know, don't lose your saltiness. 
There's, we, we're called to be salty. We're called to be light. Anyway, so he's sort of empowering the people who are listening there that day to say, you can be something. And then he goes on, and I'm not sure how many of these you've talked about, but this is sort of the verses that precede. And then he says that I've come to fulfill the law. And this is to kind of squelch any you know, concerns. Oh, he's coming to toss the law. And he's saying, no, I'm not throwing out the law. I've actually come to fulfill it, to make it whole, to make it complete, to take the spirit of the law and actually make that the weight of what we're asking you to be as Jews and ultimately as Christians. And then finally, he just says, don't be mad. There's a little part about anger and not letting anger get in your heart. And did someone deal with anger last week, John? Two weeks ago. And I, have you all, you've all you know, gotten past your anger and stuff, right? Anyone here angry? Are there any anger issues tonight? This isn't Anger Management 101, so we could do that, but I don't think that's what we're here for. So, we have the context, and then we, but when we look at this passage, we look at that to look at the whole thing, and I think it kind of breaks up into three sections, and I kind of want to deal with those individually, and then deal with the whole topic of lust. Because lust is not something we talk about. It's kind of one of those hush-hush embarrassing things. We associate lust with um, adultery, with pornography, with masturbation, with those sort of things. And yeah, we're in a church and we say those things. I don't know if that's normal. But those are things that humans deal with in daily life. It deals with sexual immorality. It deals with fornication. These are words that we don't like to use because they make us uncomfortable. But that doesn't mean as a community of faith that we don't come together and we say, what does this mean? And what does this passage do when we read it? What claim does it make on us as followers of Christ? So I want to sort of look at that first passage and just deal with that. You've heard that it was said. And this, I love how, you know, I could imagine Jesus just saying that. So you've heard that it was said. And, you know, and then he goes on to say about adultery. You should not commit adultery. I kind of think that Jesus was being a little facetious here. Because these were, you know, people, these were Jews. They... This was one of this is one of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. He's like, so I hear you've heard that it was said. I'm, you may be wrong, but some of you probably have heard it said at one time that you shouldn't commit adultery. And what he was speaking to are those people who are saying, you know what? I've never had sex with someone else's wife, so I haven't committed adultery, and I'm not an adulterer. And this was the understanding of an Old Testament view of adultery. And this is an important way to frame this passage because you have to understand, because as we read this, it continually points back to a man's relationship to a woman because that was the context that Jesus was speaking to. Now, when we interpret that into our context today, we have to broaden that because it can't just be talking about man, men in the relationship to women, but because if we look back at an Old Testament understanding of adultery, what you have is it was adulterous for a man to have sex with another man's wife. It wasn't about a man who was married having sex with another woman. David had thousands, or maybe not thousands, of wives. Solomon had thousands of wives. So it wasn't about a man who was in a monogamous relationship with the queen or one other woman and saying, you can't have sex with any of these people. You said yes to her and you're done. That's something that we, that's how we understand relationships today. And this verse helps us understand that. But when Jesus was speaking to them, he was dealing with a cultural understanding of what it means to commit adultery. Don't have sex with some other guy's wife. 
Why? Because it was in the realm of coveting. It was saying, I want what you have. I'm not content with what I have or don't have, but I want what you have. What belongs to you, what is a part of you, I want for myself. And this is not what God has called the Jews to, nor has he called us to. So, he says, you've heard it was said that you should not commit adultery, but I've said to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, let's just sort of give an overview of what in that section is happening. Jesus is saying, don't commit adultery. Fine, that's very clear. Jesus is saying, don't look at women with lustful intent. And he's referring more to married women, but that's fine. And then finally, he's saying, if you do, you're an adulterer. Now, how many of you are actually married in here? So there's a couple of you. So when you think about this, you're like, well, this is a text that's dealing with, you know, marriage or hooking up with married people. It may not really apply to us. But yet there's something deeper in what Jesus is trying to tell them that actually the message is not fully communicating because he's building a case. He's standing on a hill trying to, like, you know, mess with people's heads a little. Jesus was good at the game down here and the game up here. People are like, what's he talking about? And he's like, yeah, what's up now? Because he knew that he was like, yeah, you'll find out later or you'll burn in hell. But So what he was talking about, we're going to come back to that. But what he's talking about is, and we're going to come back to the whole lustful thing, because I think that's the kind of the thrust of what is value for us tonight. Then he goes on, and this is the part that's kind of disturbing. I mean, there are those in, in, his, in the history of the church that just said we have to take all passages literally. You know, we're eating the body and blood of Christ, and we need to cut off our right hands, and if you do something to me, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is one of those passages that you're not meant to make or take or understand or view literally. I just want to say that. Make no confusion that if you go home tonight, pluck out your eye or chop off your hand, UPC will not be held accountable for that. That's your own issue. Don't call me. Call John and he can deal with that. But at the end of the day, it is saying if your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of its members. And so as we think about this, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, throw out all those sinful eyes. Throw out all those sinful eyes. If your eyes are causing you to sin, throw out all those. Does he really want us to take our eyes out? It's kind of one of those things like, what are you saying, Jesus? You're unclear. Speak to me. He's saying it's better to lose a member. He's saying, cut off those dirty, sinful hands. And he's saying, or everyone is going to hell. That's what he's saying in this passage. And it's one of those things you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. My whole body will be thrown into hell if I don't cut off my hand or pluck out my eye. Is that really what he's saying? I'd venture to say not. And in fact, if we look at these passages, and it's kind of, and part of it is we step back and we look at how the, the passages were constructed. When Matthew was writing these books, that sometimes they, he's piecing together pieces of things that Jesus said, and he's not really a scribe taking things word for word. But we believe that God has placed those things in the order that they have been given for us and for instruction. So what is happening in this passage is you're seeing a hinting towards what it means to be the body of Christ. 
and what it means for sin to enter into the body of Christ. So it means that if Mark is a dirty sinner with dirty hands, don't touch me with your hands, man. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That, if he's sinning and he's dragging the whole body down, there's a sense of saying, you know what, we have to cut out those who are actually dragging the body down. And this is one of those tough things where like, we don't want to exclude anyone. We don't want them to feel bad about themselves. But what we forget is that Christ was calling people to radical Christian living. Christ was the, the rabbi who walked along the, the path. And when someone said, let me follow you, but I just got to go first bury my father. And Christ said, no, let the dead bury their dead. If you want to follow me, let's go now. Christ was a radical and he was calling people to radical behavior. And he was saying, if there's a part of the body that is dragging you down and what he's pointing to is the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are living by the law and dragging it down. He's saying they can't be part of this body because they will continue to pull all of us down. So it still deals with the realm of lust, but perhaps not in the same way that we think about lust as in being related only to sexuality. I'm going to come to that in a few minutes because I actually believe that lust is only in part related to sex. We've linked those two. We've made a, a marriage of those two, sex and lust, in a way that almost is unhelpful because we are all sexual beings and we are all lustful beings, but we lust in more ways than sexually. So finally, and this is the part we're not really going to deal with. In the passage, he talks about divorcing his wife. And this is, interestingly enough, one of those things that, as the church, we really don't take seriously. Because we see divorce just as much in the church as we don't. And a lot of times, it doesn't have anything with sexual immorality. But this is one of those situations, and you know what? I'm just going to say it. As the church, we tend to turn a blind eye to it. We don't want to deal with it. This marriage relationship is not working out for me and I want to get out. And I don't know if you're in that situation or you've been in that situation. I'm not here to cast judgment on anyone. But the fact of the matter is, as we look at this passage, it's related to lust in the sense of it. the individual wants more. Wants beyond. There's a loss of balance. And Jesus is saying, what? Let's find out. I like the little sound bells right there. Saying, if you're going to get divorced, make sure you give your ex-wife the proper documentation. That's the first part. That's what it says. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus, he was concerned about documentation, paper trail, covering yourself. He knew it was up. So even foresight in today, make sure you know you've been served. So just don't like, hey, you know, I'm divorcing you, and then just walk out and be like, we're divorced. He's saying, you actually got to do it properly. That's fine. We can deal with that. He's saying, if you divorce, unless your wife, or I would say in a modern-day context, is your, is, or your husband is sexually immoral, then you make an adulterer, whoever she marries, and the same for this guy. And those are things that actually we don't deal with. And I don't want to delve into that tonight. We can, you know, If you want to talk about that, John, I'm sure, would love to nitpick that verse with you because it's kind of a sticky verse. Um, and it's probably not the, the ideal verse for really talking about lust. But it relates to it in the sense of Christ is saying, if you have engaged in sexual behavior and lustful behavior and this sort of thing with someone else's wife, there's a ground for divorce. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees were asking this question. So this is the context. Now let's get into the juicy stuff. 
So what is lust? Let me hear. What do you think lust is? This is the part where you can shout things out at me, but don't swear. Because it's good. It's Fat Tuesday. Actually, it's Fat Tuesday. Swear a lot. <laughs> Wanting to have sex with someone. Okay. What else? Overbearing desire. If you say it like that, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> Overbearing desire. What is that? Uh, desire a desire for more. You guys know Dimitri Martin? Yeah. yeah. I like his line when he says you can make anything sound dirty by adding ladies to it. Overbearing desire. Ladies. <laughs> a desire for more. Ladies. Want a tic tac? Ladies. <laughs> He's right, you know, it works. It's kind of creepy. I don't recommend trying it if your job is a pastor in a youth office, though. One would think that's a good idea. One would think it's a good idea, but I can assure you that it is not. So what is lust? What else? What else you got? Overbearing desire. Imagining people naked. Don't undress me with your clothes right now. Or don't undress me with your eyes. <laughs> That was a Freudian slip, I'm sure, somewhere. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> what else? Wanting things you shouldn't necessarily have. What else? Wanting things too early. Anything? Wanting something something else have. And here's one of the things, and that's actually a good point, because, you know, if I had a Venn diagram, I love Venn diagrams that just explain the world in so many ways. Um, lust is one of those things that actually dips into a lot of other sins. Greed, gluttony, pride. In each one of those, there is a desire for more. And what I'm hearing you say is lust is related to desires and wants. And actually, if, if you look at the definition of lust... Um, or actually, I take it back. If you look at the thesaurus and, and sort of get some synonyms for lust, this is what you find. Uh, the first and the most common use in popular culture when you say lust is immediately to go to sexual desire. So sexual desire, sexual appetite, sexual longing, adore, desire, passion, libido, sex drive, sexual, biological urges, luxury. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Concupiscence, inf <laughs> informal horniness, as opposed to the formal version of horniness. The hots... And randiness, ladies. All right, who added informal to that? I did not. In, uh, did someone, who did that? Seriously, so, I didn't do that. Did someone do that? It's the informal word. Oh, it's informal. Okay. Oh, that's, that's actually helps. Because when I read that, I was thinking, okay, it's not my definition, but... I didn't know there was, I thought there was like maybe a formal version of horniness that. And I'm sure you all know the story. I worked in, I worked in London for a couple of years doing children's and youth ministry. And the one thing they came when I said, and they said, you know what? This is a story that's sort of, it's probably on Snopes somewhere saying it's not real. But that this youth team came over to work with the British kids and they came up and they were coming out, running out on stage and they were saying their name like, hi, I'm Calvin. I'm Sally. And then someone's name was Randy. He came out and he was like, I'm Randy. And everyone broke into laughter and everyone he didn't know. And, you know, didn't help that, you know, 
He was, uh, I won't go there. Okay. That's another story. It's not appropriate. Are you recording this? Are you recording? Yeah, okay. Good to know. I'll tell you that later. Two. And this is where I, and this is where I think we need to, to really take seriously a lust for power, lust, greed, desire, cravings. And I think you all picked up on this theme. Covetousness, covetousness, eagerness, avidity, cupidity, Longing, yearning, hunger, thirst, appetite, and hankering. So there's this sense of desire. So when I say, how many of you are lustful? People are like, oh, yeah. I got, I don't raise your hand. No one wants to admit that, that they, you know, they have sexual desires. It's one of those things as a culture, we make taboo. We make sexuality taboo amongst other things like death and birth and breastfeeding. You know, it's okay to have it's okay. Well, it's true in our culture. It's okay. You know, it's okay to watch a, a, you know, to see a movie on television. They show, you know, part of a woman's breast. But if you go on a plane and someone's nursing their kid, it's like, oh, goodness me. I don't want to see that. And what we have is we have this imbalance in our understanding of sexuality as a culture. But it's not just a sexual problem that we're facing. We as Christians have an imbalance of who we are. In the sense, we are always wanting more. And I believe that desire for more is actually basic to our human core. We want more as humans. But what we want is something that we can control and can't control. We want things. So when we think about it, what does it mean to learn? And these are two definitions I want to throw out there. And none of them really have to do with sex in particular. Lust is a desire to want something more than God designed for us to want it. Or another way to put it is lust is a sinful desire that opposes God's will for us as new creations in Him. There's an imbalance. You know, I'm married. I've been married for, for almost 11 years. Does that mean that I can't lust after my wife? No. Lusting doesn't stop once one enters a marriage relationship. Lusting never stops, and it's not going to stop until we are rid of these depraved human bodies and we are restored by our Savior's return. You see, we can't help the fact that we lust and we crave and we desire. But yet at the same time, we have this book that says we are new creatures in Christ. And we're left with saying, what is the balance between the desires that I have and, and what Christ has called me to? We're all sexual beings. But there's something that changes and moves us beyond and puts us into a place where we're out of connection and communion with God when we fall into this category or this area of lust. It's the same thing. And in fact, if you look back into the history of the church, back to the 5th century, St. Augustine said that lust and gluttony are handmaidens. So as a culture, we say lust, oh, it's sexual, it's taboo. We get fearful of words like pornography and masturbation. And yet those are the realities of our culture and our world. And we want to take all that and to put it in a box and to close it because it's uncomfortable for us to talk about. 
But we'll come over here and we'll be like, well, it's okay to eat too much. It's okay to be prideful. It's okay to, to, to be angry and, and to indulge in all of these other things that God, some, you know, in the Old Testament, it's called the seven deadly sins. It's okay to be slothful. And the challenge that we face is, what does it mean to be humans that seek rest but aren't slothful? that understand themselves in an appropriate way in relationship to Christ, but are not prideful, that have a healthy expression and an understanding of their sexuality, but don't fall into lust every single time that a sexual thought comes into their head. And I think one of the biggest ways that we have forgotten that lust consumes us is in our consumerism. And what I wanted to do tonight was to bring a big stack, a big, bring a bag, and I want to say I brought some, some lusty magazines, some some magazines that caused me to lust, and I wanted to pull out, and I and I was going to pull out a Pottery Barn catalog and an IKEA catalog. It was an IKEA a few weeks ago, and you know I don't need the catalog, but at the same time I couldn't help but grab one on my way out, and you know, and Jen and my wife was in the bathroom, and I'm just flipping through it. I'm like, oh yeah, that would look nice. Ooh, look at that one. It's the new Poang chair. I can see myself in that. The leather against my skin. I'm going to go hang that in my office because I think that that will look nice. We'd be embarrassed to have a Playboy or something come to our, our, you know, Come to our mailbox, but we have no problem having magazines that cause and incite lust in us in other ways. And we have a culture that has made lust permissible in certain areas, and we've indulged it in certain areas, and we've gave way to it in certain areas, that we shouldn't really be surprised that when it comes to sexuality, that we're drawn into that as well. Because we've conditioned ourselves to give credence to certain forms of lust, but not others that have taboos associated around them. And what Christ is saying when he says, you shall not commit adultery, but I say anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. Christ really probably at this point is not even entirely concerned with just those people in the crowd who may have be married and be looking at a married woman and saying, hey, she's pretty hot. And he's thinking about maybe having sex with her in his mind. Christ is not like narrowly, he's got a whole crowd here. Like all you fornicators and adulterers out there, I'm going to speak to you for a bit. He's saying something deeper and more profound that addresses all of us as human creation. And that is, is that when we give way to the desires that are in us, that are unbalanced for what God has intended for us, we dip into an area called lust. And it doesn't have to be about sex. It may be as simple as a Pottery Barn magazine or flipping through Amazon's deals of the day and saying, oh, I want that. Gluttony, Lust, pride, anger. There are things that affect who we are in very profound ways. So, that's, that's a picture of Bill Clinton. And some would say he was an adulterer. And, you know, I mean, 
there's an argument there. He didn't quite confess to everything, but he did confess to some. And people said, yeah, he's committed adultery. He was engaged in stuff. But what the thing about Bill and all the other people who have these visible sins, like adultery, that we can point to and say, hey, you're an adulterer, is that those are external things. And what Jesus is saying is just because it's not external doesn't mean that there isn't lust at the core of who we are. And it doesn't mean that when we look upon someone and that we want something from them or we want them or we imagine or we look at a sofa or if we look at you know a position that someone else has or we have a desire for power or for money, these overwhelming desires are what God is calling us away from. And lust is a tricky one because it remains at the core of who we are and it's in our hearts and no one can see it. I could sit and I could, and I could think, I could sit here and think about things that draw me into a realm of lust and you wouldn't know. Maybe I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Ladies. It's always, it's always funny. Almost. It's kind of like when you're driving and you know, someone, your friends come up to get in the car and you, you pull away a little bit. And he's like, yeah, funny. And then you do it again. You got to do it at least three times to really piss him off. <laughs> That's always funny. 13, 23, 48, 83. I'm going to be like, ah, honey, come on. Actually, I don't do that to my wife. There are boundaries. Um, Okay, I don't know, I digress. You know. So what we have is we have, a, we have a question of balance in our lives. And I'm not here to say, hey, how many of you struggle with sexual lust? And that is a topic that probably needs to be addressed as we are humans. What does it mean to be in sexual friendships with one another that don't involve sexuality? We are sexual beings. We interact, we connect we have sexual vibes that transfer between us. It's who we are. But just because that means that that's who we are, it doesn't mean that we should take those moments and indulge in them. Because it throws things out of balance. And what Jesus is ultimately saying is that we are called to live lives in right relationship with God and with one another. And if you look just a few verses down after you get past oaths, which is, you know, interesting one, that's the yes, yes, no, no thing, and retaliation, that means that you don't really have to really hit someone in the back just to hit you. You get to love your enemies. And it's about loving your neighbor. And it's about not objectifying your neighbor or using your neighbor or wanting more from your neighbor. And God is saying, be at peace. Long for righteousness. Love me and love one another. Is that going to solve our lustful issues? Does that mean the next time you get the urge to look at something on the Internet that maybe you shouldn't? Does that mean the next time you're in Ikea and you're like, I really don't need this, but I'm going to buy it because I feel like I just want it, or you're saying, oh, I shouldn't have the extra piece of cake, or I shouldn't turn to ice cream, or I shouldn't have an extra drink. Yes, that's what it means. 
It means that we call ourselves and we hold one another in accountability to say we are a community that is traveling down a road called faith. And we're going to fail on that road and we're going to stumble on that road and we're going to think thoughts in our heads that we shouldn't along that road. But we are on that road together. And we are called to love one another. And that means supporting one another. And, and my, my suggestion would be to, to, you know, and I have no practical sort of advice to go from here. Like, how do you deal with lust? Other than that, when we feed what we long for, we only long for it more. And what Christ is saying is that desire for wanting more is a part of who you are. But what I'm here is to give you life and to give you life abundantly. I'd like to take a moment and I'd like to pray. But before I do that, I'm going to actually just give you a a minute or so to sit in silence, to sit in stillness. And the question I challenge you to ask yourselves is, what do I lust after? Because this is something that applies to all of us, not just, you know, those who are randy. We long for sexual connection. It applies to all of us because we're human. And we want stuff. And we crave stuff. And this passage is saying, get things into balance. And turn that longing towards me. Christ is here to fulfill our every need. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come before you tonight as a a body of believers who are broken. We look to you for revelation. We look to your word for instruction. We long for freedom. God, we don't want to deal with lust. We don't want to be bound by sin. But we also know that you have called us new creations. And I would ask that for whatever reason someone is struggling with lust, whether it be sexual lust, consumeristic lust, whether they're lusting after food or power or fame or status, whatever they are longing for, whatever we are longing for, I ask that you would fill those desires with your spirit. Fill us with your presence. And remind us of your grace. But that even when we find ourselves faltering, that we might push on and know that you are not done completing the good work that you have started within us. Give us strength to proclaim your, your gospel in this world. Give us courage to speak truth. And give us love that we might point towards you and the gift of eternal life. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus.